Well, hello, everyone. Hello. Thank you. We're here. Glad to see you all this morning. My name is Josh. I am the student ministry pastor here, uh, and I'm so excited to be here this morning. This is my first time preaching here on the big stage, so we're going to have a a fun time together. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, We're going to go on that ride together, so I'm glad that you're here with the sleeping service. This is a service that I I always attended, so welcome. Uh, I... I have the privilege uh, of overseeing our middle and high school ministry called United. I'm wondering, are there any middle school or high schoolers that are part of that ministry here? I'd love to see your hand. I see some of you. Hi, hi guys. Manny, hi. Uh, Friends, I'm so glad to see you. Hi, Didi. Uh, We love our students. We love being a part of of having a privilege to speak in their lives and care for them. So uh, thanks for letting us have the privilege to speak into... Uh, your, stu- your, your students, your, your children. So I'm really grateful that we get to be here this morning. Uh, I want to share a little bit about myself so that we aren't strangers, so that we can get to know each other a little bit more. I am 29 years old. I grew up in Spokane, Washington. Uh, I've been here. Oh, I heard some people with a woo. Thank you. Uh, I have been here in Bellingham for the last 11 years. Uh, And then I went to Western Washington University. I have been connected to Christ the King since I started attending their young adults and college ministry at the time called Ecclesia. Uh, And uh, then I worked at Ecclesia for a few years. I worked at Christ the King North Bay campus. Um, And then for a little over a year now, I've been here overseeing the student ministry. So it's been a great time. CTK has been my home for a long time, and it's just a privilege to share with you guys this morning. Uh, In September of 2021, I got married to my incredible wife. Uh, There's a picture right here. Uh, There we go. There's a picture right here. Uh, Aren't we really cute? Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, Here's another photo. We look very happy in that one. May and I, in our free time, we love to play board games together. We watch a lot of Star Wars or Marvel shows. We go on walks. We play Mario Kart together. And in case you're wondering, I'm the better player, regardless of what she tells you differently. I always win, of course. Uh, uh, We hang out with friends. And also, we argue a lot about whether we should get a cat or not. Uh, I, of course, am the one opposed to getting a cat because that makes all the sense in the world. There's obvious reasons. Cats think they rule the world. They're stinky. They scratch things. And sure, some of them are cute, but that's why we have the cat cafe. We don't need to own one. So now that I've caused half of you to dislike me, including my wife, uh, let me tell you about the new series we are starting. Last week, we had an incredible time on Easter, and we are celebrating the fact that Jesus moved so significantly in our community. And after that, we're now today starting a series called Fish. A couple months ago, we went through this amazing-sounding series called Break Free. Then we went through another incredible series called Eight Days, all about the Holy Week, and now they're like, give the youth pastor the one called Fish. So if you're like, what are we talking about? You're not alone. We're in it together. But honestly, though, uh, as I've actually spent time getting into the concept and getting into the idea of what we're talking about, uh, and I've I've been reading the scripture, I've just gotten more and more excited about it. Uh, In this series, we're going to be asking ourselves the question, why is the theme of fish found everywhere all throughout the Bible? Each week, we're going to look at a different story involving fish. Redemption happened over fish. Jesus calls fishermen to be his disciples. He feeds 5,000 people with some fish. 
And there's plenty of other things. We're in this, we're, we're asking ourselves the question of why in this story, this grand story about the holy and divine God who created all things, who created the whole universe, why is there so much about fish? And I believe that God has something for each and every one of us to discover. So my encouragement to you this morning and during the series is don't tune out. Trust me, I've been to church many times. I know what tuning out is. Uh, we tell students this all the time. You get out what you put in. So if you go into this thinking it's just another series, just another message, I guess I'll be here some weeks on Sundays. I don't know. Maybe not. That's honestly that, what your experience will be. But if you enter in willing to do the internal work, willing to not just pacify, not just surface level listen, I mean, honestly, I think we're so programmed to just kind of accomplish our schedules, get through our days, move on, go to the next thing. That church is just like one thing on the list. But I encourage you to don't let that happen. Break those habits this morning. How can we be present and fully here with what God wants to do in you and in this space? Enter in with curiosity openness and active participation in and outside these walls because the reality is coming just on Sunday isn't enough if we're really trying to participate in what God wants to do in our hearts and lives. So that's my encouragement to you this morning, and I really believe God's going to meet you there if you press in. So now that we're on a little bit more of the same page, uh, let's align ourselves with God. I, I would love to pray for us all. Uh, Lord Jesus, you are so near. God, you are already in this space. You're already here. You're already ministering. You're already doing the work that you want to do, God. And we just, call, we just direct our attention to you. Uh, we make ourselves available, God. Like, I, like we just said, God, that we're so distracted so easily, God. And so we just say, would all that stuff leave? Would we just be here to what it is you're saying, what it is you're doing? God, would, would fear go? Would anxiety go? Would your Holy Spirit come? Whatever we're bringing into the space, meet us where we're at, Lord. And God, I pray that whatever it is that you want to say would take root in the hearts of the congregation, Lord, but whatever it is that I'm saying that you don't want to uh, have heard, God, they just fall away. Um, we want to be here and, and listen to and participate in the way you want us to, God. So we surrender to you. We open ourselves to you. We love you. Amen. Okay. When I think about my relationship with Jesus, it's one in which I think I bring a lot of baggage into. Some of the baggage I carry is amazing and it's filled with great memories. Like when he showed up and gave me purpose when I was feeling like I had no career plan or no career path ahead of me. Or when I was feeling so unseen, God has multiple times given me a community that makes me feel seen, known, and loved. Even more specific memories, like when I attended a church camp in high school and I felt his presence for the very first time, or when a group of strangers prayed over me and he healed inner turmoil that had been happening in my mind. Some of the other baggage I carry isn't so great. It's heavy, it's filled with doubt, sometimes shame. I think of the time where I lost one of my roommates when he was only 21 years old, and I felt that deep question of like, why God did that happen? I think of the times that I had suicidal thoughts and I needed Jesus to feel so much closer to me than he did. 
I think in the many mornings I wake up and think, I don't need to spend time with you, God. I'll choose self-reliance today. Or I think of the, the regrets and the shame that I've had around sin, around the damage that I might have caused. Even presently, I think of the daily difficulty of choosing to deny myself, trust in him, and say, you are Lord. There's a lot of different baggage that I carry into my relationship with Jesus, and I don't think that I'm the only one who feels this. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I think that we all have baggage when it comes to our relationship with God. We have moments of belief, we have moments of connection, we have moments of joy and satisfaction with him, and we also have moments of disappointment, and we have moments of shame and doubt and pain. I mean, honestly, many of us could have experienced a whole range of emotions even since last Easter, where you, felt, where you felt so filled with God's presence on Easter, so connected with the joy of what he did. Maybe you walked to the front even, and you declared him as your Lord, and you experienced that moment of salvation. But then this week wasn't what you thought it would be. Maybe it was filled with hardship and disappointment. Maybe you were like, yes, I'm forgiven on Sunday, but then on Tuesday you were steeped in shame. I don't know what your story is, but I think that we can all agree that we carry a lot of baggage. And I think that there's tension in this. I think there's even shame in it. And in that tension, we have to ask ourselves, where is God? And so that's what we're talking about this morning. And to discuss this, we're going to be looking at the disciple Peter. And Peter is, one, is probably my favorite disciple. He's the most relatable. Uh, Peter's very familiar with having baggage in his walk with Jesus. He's often thought of as being, uh, like I said, very relatable. He has such high highs and such low lows. He walked on water with Jesus. And then he also sank right afterwards because he took his eyes off Jesus. He was, the first, he was one of the first disciples to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, and then very soon after, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, and he rebukes him. And just a little prior to the story that we're reading today, Peter denies Jesus three separate times. He denies that he knows him, and Peter has a lot of baggage. And then the resurrection happens. And so that leads to a moment of what now? Like, what's next? And that's what we're picking up today in John 21. In this space, Peter is full of shame. He's full, he's, he's full of regret. He's full of memories. And likely a lot of questions on what, what to do next. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app, the text is also going to be on the screen. We're going to be in John chapter 21. Verses 1 through 3 say this, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. It's been a short time since Peter denied Jesus, and we have to imagine the shame and the regret, the, the regret that he would have been feeling here, the longing that he must have had to make things right. And in Peter's confusion and shame, what he does is something a lot of us do. He returns to the life that he knew. He returns to that thing that brings him comfort, something that he can at least control. I mean, Peter was a professional fisherman, and so he goes back to fish. 
And I can relate to this. When I'm overwhelmed, when I don't know where to go, I turn to the things that are familiar and comfortable. I remember I did this when I was done with college and I didn't know what to do with my life. Like I was in a space of like, do I want to be a teacher? Do I want to get into ministry? God, is there something else? Like, I don't know what to do. And often it would feel like there was so much noise in my head and I'd be so overwhelmed and filled with anxiety and fear. And so I would cope by numbing myself, by withdrawing. I, would, I still do this often. I, I look at my phone. I turn to TV shows. I listen to music. I do chores. I pacify my attention to get, just so I can get by anything to avoid the silence and my fear. In my baggage, in my restlessness, I still tend to rely on myself. And that's what's happening here with Peter. Like I said, he's very relatable. For the last three years, Peter has followed Jesus day in and day out. He had purpose with him. He believed Jesus was the one who would overthrow all powers, who would defeat evil, and then Jesus died. It seemed that he had lost. It seemed that evil won again, that there was no hope. And in that, imagine the emotional roller coaster that Peter had to go through. And then Jesus rose again. He came back. The story isn't over. And it's all unexpected. And now Peter must be thinking, what happens now? Like, what do I do with myself? I guess I'll go fishing. We all do this. We have amazing experiences with God. Maybe we went to a, a, a camp when we were younger. Maybe it's been at church at some point where we're like, yes, I feel so connected to the Lord. We feel convicted. And then we leave. And we return to the life we knew. We return to self-reliance and cheap comforts. And those close moments with Jesus can sometimes become pretty distant memories. Peter makes the same mistake I often make. He thinks that he can find peace and purpose through relying on himself and his comforts. And then Jesus enters the picture, verse four. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. It's in this space of confusion and shame that Jesus meets Peter and he meets the disciples. But they don't recognize him. They're too busy. They're too preoccupied with their failed efforts at comfort and self-reliance. Does this sound familiar to anyone? We are so busy. We're so hurried. We're so preoccupied with our own lives. Even when we have time, we distract ourselves. I mean, you ever check your, phone, your, your screen time on your phone? Like, it's not a fun thing to do. Mine was three hours a day this past week. That's ridiculous. I've had to ask myself this question, and I want to ask it to you as well. If Jesus stood on the shore of your life, would you even have the space to recognize him? Would you even have the space to recognize him? I mean, think about it. Jesus not being recognized for who he is is literally his whole story. The Easter story we just celebrated. He was God in flesh. He was the promised Messiah. He was the king of kings, and we didn't recognize him. The religious leaders, the people who knew everything about God, didn't recognize him when he was literally in their presence. In fact, they killed him. If Jesus showed up in your life, would you even have the space to recognize him? Would you even have the tools to recognize him? Like, do, you, do you read his word? Do you know his word? Could you recognize the sound of his voice? Do you recognize him when you see him? 
I think too often we're too preoccupied that we don't pay attention. We don't drop the things that I'm sure are already floating in our heads of what happens after church this morning. That we fail to see him standing there right on the shore. And yet, here is another story where Jesus, despite not being recognized, continues to move towards the world, and in this case, continues to move towards Peter and the disciples. Verses five through six says this. He called, out, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Jesus is doing something really individual and really personal here with Peter. There's a reason he doesn't just say, hey, Peter, it's me over here on the shore. Like he's reminding Peter of who he is by reminding him of who he's been. He was reminding Peter something of his own story. He's speaking his own language and he's using fish to do it. It's so specific and individual. I wanna show you what I mean. The story is almost identical to the story of when Jesus first called Peter to be his disciple. In Luke 5, it says this. Luke 5, four through seven says, When they had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. So once again, they're fishing all night. There's no return. Peter continues, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. These stories are literally the same story. One happens at the beginning of Peter's walk with Jesus, and one happens after the resurrection. Peter's fishing all night. He catches nothing. Jesus invites him to throw their nets out again, to try again, and then they catch so many fish. Do you see what Jesus is doing here, how specific and how personal it is to Peter's story? Jesus reminding Peter again, of who he is. Previously, Peter chose to take a risk. He chose to let down his nets, and this risk led to three unimaginable years with Jesus. And yet, here Jesus is again saying, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. I know you had a moment with me in the past, but will you do it again? Will you take a risk to trust me again? Will you give it another go with me? I felt this invitation Uh, when I was angry at the church, honestly, a few years ago. I was angry at our inability to be who I thought we should be. I was angry and bitter, and bitterness had built up in me. And then I felt Jesus saying again, will you try the other side of the boat? Will you trust me again? Will you press in? In your baggage, your history, your regrets, will you try the other side? Will you take the risk to trust me. It would have been easy for Peter to say, no, I'm fine this time. You're asking too much. I'm good just fishing. But he and the disciples choose to try again and they catch so many fish that they can't bring it back into the boat. We continue in seven through eight. It says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the boat. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. I love this moment. Peter, who has not had a personal interaction with Jesus since he denied him. Peter, who has to have been feeling so much shame, hears that it's Jesus and what he doesn't do, he does not hide. He doesn't cower in fear like Adam and Eve did. The moment he hears it's Jesus, Peter goes, him? Over there, that's him, and he can't even help himself. He just dives into the water and he swims as fast as he can so that he can get close to Jesus. And it gets even more beautiful when we see how Peter first reacted to Jesus when they caught a lot of fish. Luke 5.8 says this, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Do you see the difference? The first time Peter encounters Jesus, he says, go away, depart from me. I'm not worthy to be near you. I am a sinner. And now, here we are, three years later, Days after Peter denied Jesus in his lowest moment, his sin hasn't even been discussed, and yet the moment he recognizes who Jesus is, he does everything to get close to him. What's changed? Like, why? I know what's changed, and it's that Peter has actually had the chance to know who Jesus is. He's gotten to know him. After all that has happened, if Peter's first response to seeing Jesus is to swim as fast as he can to him, what's that tell us about who Jesus is? I think it tells us that Jesus is kind, that he's forgiving, that he's loving, that he moves towards. And I think it tells us that Peter knows of Jesus' immense love for him. When Peter first realizes who Jesus is, he responds by trying to create distance between them. He experiences shame, essentially saying, I'm not good enough to be in your presence. And this is what we often do in our shame. I've done this at least. I remember being in high school and I had times where I made the, made the terrible choice to objectify women in my mind and I looked at pictures that I shouldn't have and my response in those moments was to go, God, get away from me. I can't be near you. I'm too broken. I can't be in your presence. I think we've all had those moments where we can feel like we aren't good enough to be loved, that we're too big of a disappointment. We can withdraw from Jesus and we can create distance between ourselves and God and, God and friends. I wanna say this as gently as I can, but I think that this results from having a perception of God that doesn't align with the reality of who he is. This is what Peter had. When he first encountered Jesus, he had a perception. He had a false view of Jesus. And that resulted him in him wanting to create distance. But then he knew the reality of Jesus. He knew who he actually was. And Peter's understanding of who he is changed. And this caused him not to run from God, but to draw close to him, even in his sin. What do you do when you recognize Jesus even in your shame? Because honestly, one of the worst things that we can do is turn away from him. What do we do? Do we try to get close or do we withdraw? How we respond to him tells us a lot 
about who we think he is? Do you ever examine that? How we respond to him? What's that say about how we view him? Do your perceptions line up with the reality of who Jesus is? Verses 9 through 11 say this, When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals that were there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. I, I love that Jesus is just cooking for them, that he's just making a meal for them, that they've been fishing everything, and Jesus is like, I already got the fish, that he's just hanging out. And while that's so beautiful that he's just making a meal for them, I still think that there's something deeper happening here for Peter. I want you to take note of the detail that when they first arrived on shore, they saw a fire of burning coals. In other translations, it says that they saw a charcoal fire. Just three chapters earlier, John tells us about Peter's denial of Jesus, and I want us to picture this together. Jesus had just been bound up and arrested, and he's been taken into the high priest's courtyard. He's put in custody. Peter has been following Jesus and the soldiers in the dead of night, and he arrives at the courtyard, and he waits as Jesus is interrogated, as he's mocked, as he's spit on, and as he's beat. And this is a man in Peter who said he would die for Jesus. But then a little servant girl comes to Peter and says, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And in Peter's fear and cowardice, he denies ever knowing him. A few moments later, another young servant girl comes up to Peter and says, you're one of his disciples, you knew him. And again, Peter denies knowing Jesus. And in his shame, a third time, Peter's recognized. And again, he says, I never knew him. I don't know what you're talking about. And in that third time, in that moment, Jesus' beaten and battered self turns to look at Peter. I can't even imagine the devastation that he felt, the pain. Peter runs away, weeping bitterly. Now, let's take note of the setting that all of this took place in. In John 18, 18, it says this, Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The location where Peter betrayed Jesus was around a charcoal fire. And the first thing he and the disciples see when they get to shore is Jesus standing next to a charcoal fire cooking a meal for them. I think this is beautiful. As Peter's swimming to shore, walking towards Jesus, he had to have seen that charcoal fire and the memory of being around that fire just a few nights before had to have rushed into Peter's mind. And that shame begins to creep in. He takes a closer look and sees that Jesus is cooking some bread and some fish on it. And then it hits him. This is someone who probably hurt Jesus more than we ever could. And he's still welcome to the table. The painful memory by the charcoal fire is being made new and it's being replaced by the grace and love of Jesus. In his own way, Jesus is letting Peter know, I have not given up on you. I haven't abandoned you. I still want to be in a relationship with you. I'm still here. 
Peter's lowest moment is made new as he's given the opportunity to receive a meal from the resurrected Savior of the world. Honestly, when I think of the baggage that I have with Jesus, there have been plenty of times where I don't want to face that charcoal fire, like the reality of what I did. There have been times that I've hurt people, and one of the most prominent examples is with my younger brother. I'm the oldest of three, and growing up, my middle brother and I didn't get along very well, to say the least. Uh, And a lot of that was because of how I treated him. I would belittle him, I would look down on him, I'd judge him, I'd consistently argue with him, and in turn, we were not very close. And even though this occurred less as we got older, we still did not have a great relationship when I went to college. And as I continued to grow in my relationship with the Lord, the way I treated my brother filled me with shame and regret. I had wished we were closer. I had wished I had treated him better. I realized that I had betrayed Jesus and how I treated my brother. And when I felt the shame, I would often withdraw and ignore. I believed the lies that said it's too late to make things right. That I was making too big of a deal, that he'd probably move on, that he wouldn't even forgive me if I tried. So for a while, I refused to face that charcoal fire. Instead, I chose to withdraw, ignore, and avoid. But then eventually, the Lord invited me to have courage and face what I had done, to pursue a relationship with my brother, to seek forgiveness, to reconcile. And through God's grace and redemption, he's become one of my closest friends. But it wasn't until I was willing to face that charcoal fire that I experienced healing. It's, I, I mean, I get it. It is so difficult for us to face the charcoal fires in our own lives. Instead, what we do is choose to make sure we're always fishing, always too busy to recognize Jesus on the shore of our lives. And some of us are too reluctant to try the other side of the boat to dive into the water when we see him because we know that he might invite us to face our pain. And friends, I say this in the most loving way. I know it takes courage, but the only way Jesus can redeem that moment in your life is if you go there with him and let him in. He's there. He's wanting to. But you have the choice of will you draw near to the charcoal fire and allow him to redeem, to make you a meal. If you never get off the boat, you won't have the chance to eat with him and experience his healing and redemption. So now you might be sitting there going like, all right, cool, so what though, new guy? Like, I don't even remember your name. Like, so what? What if I'm fine just getting by? Like, what if my life's fine? I'm, I've been fine ignoring the pain. I've gotten by. I've gotten this far. I cope in the ways that I see fit as long as they aren't too harmful or damaging to anybody. Why does it matter if this is good enough, if I enjoy my life? And honestly, that might be true, but it is, it is certainly a lot easier to avoid those charcoal fires of our past. But I want to propose this to you. What if that's what Peter did? What if Peter didn't try the other side of the boat? What if Peter had stayed on the boat? What if he hadn't swam as fast as he could towards Jesus? He would have missed the whole calling on his life. 
He would have missed out on seeing the miracles God wanted to do in and through him. He would have missed out on experiencing the goodness and company of Jesus. He would have missed out on experiencing God's healing and provision. The world, the church, all of us would have missed out on who Peter became. And for what? So we could fish a little more? So he could just be fine ignoring the pain of his past, getting by. So he could be fine watching Netflix, making some extra money, experiencing a little bit more comfort. How tragic would that have been? I'm here to say to myself and to you, your life matters. Some of you need to hear it again. Your life matters. There's a purpose for your life. God actually wants to do something in your life. It's never too late. He still has something for you. He still wants to use you. He had something for Peter, but Peter had to say, okay, I'll go there, God. The invitation is the same. He has purpose for your life, just like he did for Peter. Jesus can, and he will redeem you in that terrible moment in your life if you just draw close to him. We too often settle for cheap comforts and avoidance. We too often settle for apathy because it's just too much, and God the whole time is standing there being like, I want to do something with you, though. Like, I'm not done. I want to use you. I can transform your whole life but then we just sit on autopilot. I don't want to settle for cheap comforts. I do that too often. Jesus wants to do so much more in you and in me than that. But it starts by making the choice to draw close to him. In our final two verses, it says this, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Friends, I believe that Jesus' invitation here is the same to Peter and the disciples as it is to you. That his invitation is to come and have breakfast. Come and be in friendship and fellowship with me. Receive what I have to offer you. Let me redeem you in your sin and in your shame. Let me love and care for you. Come with all the baggage that you have, no matter what it is. Bring it to me. Meet me with it. Lay it at my feet. Come and have breakfast. The last time the disciples had a meal with Jesus, it was at the Last Supper the day before his death, where Peter declared that he would never deny Jesus. And here we are a few days later, after Peter did that, after, after the disciples abandoned Jesus, after his death. It would be understandable, understandable for Jesus to say, I'll never eat with them. They gave up on me. They deserted me. But friends, that was the last supper. This is the first breakfast. Here Jesus is saying, come to the table again. Come have a meal with me again. I haven't abandoned or given up on you. I'm with you. Come and have breakfast with me. And at breakfast, Peter's hunger for redemption was met with a meal by the charcoal fire. Like Peter, we have all denied Jesus plenty of times. We have denied him through our self-reliance, through our apathy, through our avoidance, through our worship of others and more. We all have so much baggage, just like Peter, but here's the deal. 
Peter's willingness to continue to say yes is the best thing he brings to the table. His willingness to continue to say yes. His availability to Jesus is the best thing he has to offer. It's not his intellect, his talent, his skill set, his experience. It's his willingness to say, yes, Lord, I will jump in the water and I will swim to you. In fact, pretty much every major character in Scripture, the best thing they bring to the table is their willingness to say, yes, Lord, I will, I will go. I will trust you. I will say yes. I will draw near to you. And this is true of you too. The best thing you can offer Jesus isn't your skill set, your achievements, your talents. The best thing you can offer is your willingness to say yes. It's your willingness to jump into the water just so that you have a chance to have a meal with him. It's your whole self. The question is though, will you do what Peter did? Will you swim to him? Will you face the charcoal fire? Will you have breakfast with him? So friends, uh, I want to invite the band back up. And as I do this, I just want to give us space to make this tangible with the Lord. Just give us a moment. And I pray that this isn't the only moment this week. But I invite you to close your eyes, and this is just to help you focus. Just to close your eyes and think for a moment a little bit about Peter's story. How we went fishing, how he caught nothing, how Jesus called out to him. I told him to try again. How he ran, how he swam to him and had a meal with him. What part of the story is resonating with you? Think about that for a second. How might Jesus be speaking to you? What's that charcoal fire? He's like, no, go there with me. How could he be inviting you to draw close to him? Whatever's resonating, whatever stirring in your heart right now, talk to Jesus about it for a moment. feel free to open your eyes. Whatever it is that the Lord is stirring in your heart, my encouragement to you this week is to make a plan and do something about it. Make a plan. Take a step. Feeling God stir something in your heart is just the beginning. This might just be the initial invitation of God going, I want to go there with you. Keep going. Keep swimming. Keep moving towards. You had the chance to say yes to that this morning, and you have the chance to continue to say yes to that all week. Right now, uh, as a whole community, 
we're gonna have a chance to declare to God that we wanna draw near to him, that we wanna swim to him, even with all our baggage, all that we carry, and that we just wanna be where he is. So we're gonna, we're gonna continue in worship, and during this song, you can, you can feel free to stand in worship, you can feel free to sit and continue to think and talk to the Lord. Do what it is that you feel like the Lord's inviting you into. But may this song be a declaration of your heart and maybe your prayer this week as we move forward to drawing close to him. Andy, go ahead and lead us.